you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome to the next edition of Bare Naked Money, where we get bare naked and talk about money. Uh, maybe not fully clothes, so Josh, just in case you're wondering. We, we start fully clothed. We might not be fully clothed by the end of this. We're not sure. It's a Friday afternoon, so, you know, we could spice it up a little bit. Well, I mean, it's going to be spicy because we're going to talk about inflation because it seems to be what everybody wants to talk about, and there's quite a bit to talk about. So I can't wait to hear Josh put these questions to me and figure out what I come up with after he asks me a question. So, so Josh, where, where do you want to take us on this inflationary journey? Well, as we do, we like to challenge the conventional wisdom or maybe the, the, the most popular narrative. So I put together a few questions that are we sure type questions, and I'm going to pose them to you that way because I want us to think a little bit critically about some of the things we may take as a given as it specifically as it relates to inflation, because I, I think there right now there's there's a, a specific train of thought that I think is out there that paints a really nice picture for how this is going to play out over the next little while. And nothing is ever that clean. So well, I think it's, I think it's up to us to throw a little bit of chaos into this. Well, we like a neat picture. We like a picture that has a beginning, a middle and an end. It has a, a hero and a protagonist and, you know, all of the different characters that you need. Like we need a complete story, Josh. You're going to disrupt this complete story, this wonderful Picasso of a narrative. You're going to throw water on it. Is that what you're going to do? I'm just going to ask questions. If the story gets destroyed along the way, that's not my fault. I'm just the question asker here. Okay. Fair enough. How about it? All right. Well, I'm going to start with this one. And I know it's a leading question for you, Colin, but are we sure inflation is measured correctly? Well, I didn't want to do this right at the beginning because I'm sure pretty much nothing. So my answer to all these is going to be no, but I think it's important to dig into this topic a little bit because inflation gets thrown around in this homogeneous thing. Like it's just inflation and it, obviously it's measurable, but as with most things, there's, there's hair on that because to decide at any moment in time, how much things have gone up in price. So a whole bunch of assumptions that have to be made and there's a lag and you know, what information is available instantly. What are you comparing against? Again, you go back 50 years ago, there were probably less computers in the basket of goods that we're considering than there is today. So there's a whole bunch of assumptions that have to be made leading to that final point. So correctly, hmm. When you say something's being measured correctly, do you mean, what do you mean by correctly? Accurately? That's one way to interpret it. Is, is it being measured accurately? Again, given a time lag and making some assumptions, maybe you could argue that it is, but it really depends on the purpose. There's, there's different uses for inflationary data. Are you talking about adjusting something going forward and using it in a predictive fashion? Are you looking at adjusting for something that's already occurred, like in, in a backward looking fashion? Yeah. So I am sure it's, it's measured correctly for something. How's that? <laughs> Very vague. 
but good. I started, I was going for definitive. Yeah. Well, I, I started thinking about this for a couple of reasons. Well, one, because we know that these changes to the way that inflation is measured have occurred over time. So they, they've changed the way that even the basic way that we measure CPI has changed over time. And as we've talked about on this podcast, over the last year, we've changed the way that inflation is presented. Maybe not the way that it's measured, but now they're talking about core inflation x shelter is the, the last thing that we're hearing. So <laughs> it's like the core inflation is not core enough. They need to make it more core. So what's more core than core? Well, we got to strip out other things. Because the core inflation is designed to you know, strip out energy prices and food prices because they tend to be volatile and it makes some sense to strip those things out. But when shelter is volatile too, well, then you just strip shelter out because that's more core now. Well, car prices are volatile too. So maybe you should strip cars out. And everything seems to be volatile right now. So maybe you should just strip everything out. And then you don't have any measure of inflation at all. The other thing that got me thinking about this was most recently in the US, we've reported a year over year. So over the last 12 months, inflation is roughly 6%, a bit over 6%. But on a month over month basis since last month, inflation is actually negative. So prices are actually going down in aggregate. So I started thinking about what is the correct measure of inflation? What what yeah. matters more for decision making and for like it is it more relevant to me that prices are down over the last month or is it more relevant that prices are up over the last year and how do we make decisions with that? Well, I don't think any of this is relevant on an individual basis because individually your inflation rate may be up or down. Right. So again, it was funny because I went to a, a conference one time and I was sitting beside somebody. And we're, we're talking about inflation and he was very expensive. He goes, look, I go to the store and broccoli's too expensive. I'll buy cauliflower. If that's too expensive. I'll buy a bag of carrots. People adjust while well, there's substitution, right? So there's this, this basket that they're trying to measure. Look, if you stand back at 30,000 feet, the idea of measuring how much things are going up has a lot of appeal. But at the end of the day, it's a mathematical formula. Now, like you said, Josh, they throw away all the volatile stuff. Why? It makes for messy mathematical modeling. So they're, they're holding the mathematical modeling out is that this has to be clean and neat rather than it has to be useful. I mean, the world is a messy place. And just because you can't put that in a really good model doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Your model can be and should be messy. Numbers are not things. They're symbols that represent things. The answer to a mathematical equation is not an answer to anything. Now, they're, they're overstating the value here. They've taken a really, really important thing that we need to plan for. We need to internalize. Things are going to get more expensive over my lifetime, and that matters. They've taken that, and they've drilled it into and turned it into something that is so abstract and used for so many different things, and there's so many competing uh, needs, right? So... There's, there's parts of, of, of the government, the main system that are going to want to lower inflation rate because it indexes the cost of a whole bunch of things. Now, there's other people who are going to want a higher inflation rate because they're going to go negotiate their wages and things of that nature. So you have these competing large groups, large constituent pieces that have a conflict as to what they want the answer to be. 
And then they build a model saying that this is why we have the assumptions we made and this is where it's led us. It does because they have a bias doesn't make their answer wrong. It just makes you look at it a little bit closer, right? So they've taken something that's that's a fairly basic thing that everybody needs to pay attention to and tried to in some in many instances, I feel, made it way too precise. And in doing so, it's lost it's lost the meaning a little bit. Okay. Between now and six months from now, will we have persistent deflation? Let's let's change the question a little bit because we one month of data could happen at any time, right? And wait for it. They they could go back and revise the information they just released six sure. months from now. There's also a thing. Let's leave that out of the question for now. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think it's out of the question. I, I think that there's there's still the underlying, and I still see it. I see real world examples of supply chain issues like the. We've moved away from that and, and, and are largely commenting on this as a monetary issue now, and maybe that's accurate, but I don't think that the supply chain issues are completely a non-factor. So yeah, as long as that's working out there is something that, that, that could resurface at some point. And there's such a lag. So I mean, there's been the news out of China with lockdowns and stuff, and then the release of the lockdowns and, and, and the flow of goods and stuff like that. There's such a lag on all these things. So as to when it actually shows up in the number that happens to be measured, I don't know, is that going to happen in the next six months? Is it going to happen a year from now or did it happen last month? It's, it's almost impossible to tell. Yeah. I, there's an article yesterday that got me thinking about this more that we've seen deflation over the very, very short term on durable goods. So your car, your refrigerator, your sofa, things like that, like big sort of big ticket purchases. and. The rationale that they led to is it's a little bit unclear exactly what's leading to this, but supply chains have mostly fixed themselves. Mostly, I will say mostly. And people are starting to get a little bit more reluctant to make these big ticket purchases as the economy slows down a little bit, interest rates go up. It's harder to make some of these these purchases, a lot of them which are are purchased on 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 credit. So I, I still don't think in aggregate we're going to have deflation over the next six months, but it's definitely a possibility, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and again, I think the fact we've already seen it for eight months puts it back because things went up. If you go back a year, the meteoric increase on things was was very substantial. And for some of that, some of that has unwound, right? So could have unwind a little bit more to the extent that it reflects in an actual core, non-core, or core shelter, or a homeless CPI index of some description, somewhere in there you could see. Uh, I don't think, I can't see us having persistent deflation over a six-month period, but see it crop up more than once over the next six months in various sectors. Hmm. Yeah, I, I w it wouldn't surprise me to see that for sure. Yeah. All right. My next two are related, but kind of opposite in some ways, sort of contradictory. Are we sure the Bank of Canada will continue hiking interest rates from here? Sure is always a strong word, so I'm just going to throw that away. I think the Bank of Canada has signaled a, an enthusiasm that I haven't really seen from central monetary people in a long time. So I think it's probably more likely that if it's a 50-50 shot, they're going to raise rates. I think there's a little more enthusiasm there, and I think they have a little bit more backing from key constituents that would lead in favor of that. 
uh, which I think is setting us up for maybe an overshoot. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would suspect that we are going to continue to see uh, rate increases because uh, there's also some shame in that they missed this. So they want to really, really, really make sure that that mouse into the bed is dead. So they're going to beat it, beat it, beat it until they're sure it's dead. You're going to burn the room down. If, if it calls for it. Yeah. I asked this because, and again, we'll, we'll repeat this as we go through the second question, but central banks are notoriously bad predictors of where interest rates are going to end up. Now, I would be mildly shocked, I would say, if we didn't see another interest rate increase from the Bank of Canada. But it's not completely out of the question. Maybe they throw us curveball. Maybe they're looking at some data like these short-term deflationary forces that say we can pause for a month. And maybe they're worried about how high interest rates have run on some of the very high debt that we have here in Canada. And they decide we better not keep pushing until we break. We better let things play out a little bit to see. It's, it's not completely out of the question for me. Would I be mildly shocked? Yes, but it's not completely out of the question. And then if you start to see some economic weakness after pausing for one, one, uh, one rate hike cycle, I, I could see it's not a 0% chance that we've seen the last rate hike for, for this, uh, this time around. I wouldn't put my money on it, but give me high enough odds, uh, I might dabble a little bit. Uh, no, you wouldn't. You're not, the, you're not that guy. No, right. it's, I think that the challenge for the bank Canada also is that it's a momentum thing. It's like you're driving an oil tanker it takes a long time when you change the thrust for the direction to change. And they may already have math that says, uh oh, we're going to hit short. Um, but it's, it's because any change they make now, it takes months to show up. And yeah. Well, I think the reason they're, they're not likely to pause right now is because they've created this narrative that they have to keep going. So they'd lose a little bit of face if they pivoted this quickly, just on a dime. It, it, and that's why I think I'd be mildly shocked. Anyway, my, my next related question, are we sure that the Bank of Canada will decrease interest rates over the next 12 to 24 months? And I, I say that because if you look at future interest rates, longer term interest rates, longer term GIC rates, and the expectations by the market, it's very, very clear that the expectation is for them to decrease over the next 12 to 24 months. Well, yeah, and that goes back to my comment about overshooting, which is not uncommon. I think that it'd be difficult to, to find a whole lot of periods where you can look back and say they hit it bang on because typically they're a little bit late to the game. They get late to the game and then they get a little over enthusiastic and they're just to a point. It's like, well, we need to nudge it in the other direction a little bit at some point. And Josh, you bring up a good point. I mean, that debt is a thing. So, you know, you're going to have major uh, institutions and governments, and individuals, and these increased interest costs are a big thing. And it may start having an outsized impact and a need to be remedied to some degree. And you know what, for all of the, the flaws in the market, the expectations of the market are, are not without merit, I think. There's a lot of people with a lot of resources behaving in a way that this is the expectation. So when market behavior lines up like this, kind of go, and sometimes wishing makes itself. So this, this could influence what, what the banks end up doing. No, it wouldn't surprise me. Certainly if you give me 24 months, 
I wouldn't say sure, but I'd say it's very likely at some point in the next 24 months that you'll see it, not a major reversal, but at least a minor little tweak. It's like, oops, we missed this by a bit, right? But I also like the fact that this is now a thing because for a long period of time leading up to these interest rate increases, they had very, they had no bullets in the gut. Like there was really nothing they could do to, yeah. to, to provide stimulus, right? There so zero. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. So now they put some bullets back in the gun. So now it is an option. Like it's something that could happen in the field. Like we could actually see them provide some, some stimulus, uh, in a, in a more normal expected way. So I, sure it's not the word I'd use. Could li likely maybe, yeah. Likely yeah. maybe. Okay. So let me paint a picture for you where we don't have interest rate decreases over the next 12 months or 24 months. Inflation stays a little bit higher than we expect. Maybe wage inflation and unemployment, they, they just come off their, their highs and respective highs and lows just a little bit. And you kind of coast into the soft landing thing that we've been hearing about so much might be a little bit of a, a Goldilocks type of fairy tale, but we coast in this soft landing within the next 12 months, economy's doing okay on solid footing, and we don't have any big catastrophes. Is there a situation there where the Bank of Canada doesn't see the need to cut interest rates and maybe we even tick up a little bit higher than we would have expected? Yep. All of the, they, they may accidentally get it right. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. We're not counting yeah. on it, but they, they might. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the challenge. Like I said, it's, it's such, there's such a long lag between action and reaction habits, and there's so many other forces at play. I mean, really heavily focusing on the, the central bank setting rates, but there's so many other forces at play that are moving things around the chessboard. It's it's very difficult to have a, a cause a cause and react a reacting cause like nice and nice and close together. So I have one more question. And this might be the, the scariest question for me, but are we sure long-term inflation will get back to the 2% trend? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I am sure because I saw the fire in Tiff Macklin's eyes that day. He made the presentation here and I said, wow, I've never seen a central banker so wound up, ready to fall on his sword. I guess what could get in the way is if he loses his job, but, uh, I'm not sure that when these guys go to school, like whether there's a whole satanic ritual over beating inflation, but, uh, boy, there's, there's not a whole lot of room to disagree with having an inflation target because that seems to be the whole game and how everybody's trained and what everybody's expectations are. Then he signaled a willingness to burn it all down just, just to watch it burn. So. Yeah, I think that getting back to that two percent. Well, we were playing around with numbers that time, Josh, and I found that interesting. That if you look, you only have to go back over twelve years, and we are at a two percent average. Yeah, maybe thirteen years now, right? So you did a plan thirteen years ago. Yeah, this is what's happened in the last year. Just got you back to the normal two percent you were pr projecting anyway. So uh, yeah, no, we're we're going to get back. Uh, I, I don't, I can't say for sure it's going to be this year, uh, but I, I, they're, they're going to stay on the path until they get us there. Yeah. Did you ask Liam if he went through the satanic ritual at his master's program? Oh, I, I saw the classrooms right out of the fifties. So I'm pretty sure they stopped at advancing the, the theories that they looked at sometime in the fifties. So. <laughs> and then for listeners, 
Liam's Colin's son, who just is almost completed his master's from what I understand. Oh, I hope he hears this. I hope he hears this. So here, I'm going to, again, paint a picture for you where inflation stays elevated over, well, we'll call it five to 10 years, maybe. I'll call that long-term. So there's a few trends that have really been in force over the last, really, multiple decades that I think have supported lower inflation than uh, what we had experienced prior to that. A big one for me is deglobalization coming with the expectation that deglobalization follows from here. So globalization, exporting, importing, bringing in cheaper goods from abroad has been a massive force driving inflation lower for multiple decades. It's been a long, long time coming. And we're at a point now where it seems like Western economies are pivoting a little bit. And you hear COVID may have accelerated this where we were kind of scrambling with the supply chain issues that we talked about earlier. And it seems like people are and countries are starting to onshore some of the production and manufacturing and some of the services that they they get overseas. And the the quote that I've heard thrown out there is instead of just-in-time manufacturing, we're going to a just-in-case manufacturing. And that's having a backup plan. And But that comes with higher expenses and higher costs. And those higher costs are necessarily going to get passed on to the end consumer. So driving up longer-term inflation. Second, uh, second reason why we might see higher longer-term inflation. Both in Canada and the US, you've seen a bit more of a, a worker-friendly government. We've had this, think of the, the 1% and bashing the 1% and Occupy Wall Street movement and all this stuff over the last 10 years. And I'm not saying that's a bad or a good thing, but what we've seen over the last multiple decades is that workers' share of, of profits or income or GDP has gone down consistently over time. And if you have a, a shift in the balance of power there, maybe you start to see a bit higher wage growth, which also leads to almost necessarily higher inflation because people have more money in their pocket. They're willing to, to pay for more things. Uh, and and drive up prices that way. The third aspect of this is mostly a U.S. story, but over the last 15 or so years, there's been a massive deleveraging in the U.S. In the real estate collapse in 07, 08 timeframe in the U.S., consumers were massively overlevered. They had way too much debt. And they basically spent the last decade plus unwinding all of that excess debt. So they're at a point today, they couldn't spend over the last 15 years, so to speak. Today, they have much more capacity to borrow and spend going forward. And you could see somewhat of a reversal of that, that trend over the next five to 10 years. Again, more leverage, more borrowing, more spending, higher prices. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think that deglobalization is a thing. And I've, I've made this comment before, and, and yeah, I did this thing. But I think it's the the combination that we have seen, which has been truly spectacular from a, a fiscal perspective, has been the fact we had all these deflationary pressures allowed what would otherwise be very inflationary monetary policy to exist. Yeah. All right. So the monetary policy in a normal environment would have caused huge inflation, but it didn't. So I think we're at the nexus of going, well, we can't have that 
accommodating monetary policy if the deflationary pressures aren't around. You, know, you can't, oops, we better, we better go back to more normal monetary policy because we don't have this other undercurrent that's sweeping away all the bad aspects of things. So we could be just getting into a new balance. And I think it's possible to keep it at the 2% based on having less accommodative monetary policy to overcome the things you're talking about. Sure. But, but it's messy. It's messy and it's, there's time lags on it. And was, is it going to get out of balance significant enough for long enough that it's going to be materially different? Yeah, it absolutely could. But I do think that, that we're seeing these two things in concert. Monetary policy is having to adjust because the, the we're no longer having deflationary forces at work. Who knows how it ends? So you had a big finish, big question to ask to wrap everything up. All right. So I'm going to, I want to end this is completely unrehearsed for those who think we worked off script. Josh got no idea what's coming next. So Josh, we're going to play a game. I want you to pick any one of those questions and just don't tell me which one, just pick any one of those questions. And I want you to pretend that the answer to that question is yes, we are sure we are both 100% sure of whatever it is. And I want you to tell me what, what does that mean? What comes next? If one of those things is an absolute, we were able to rig the game and we knew this one variable with precision that was going to happen, where does it lead us? Does it lead us to the answer? So that's a great question. So I, I can only pick one and I have the answer to it, right? Yeah. Any of them. And is it just a yes or no answer or do I get the full you, you, you know, that one issue, you know, that one question with complete clarity, okay, complete detail, all the timing, what can you do with that information? Yeah. Does it, does it tell you how the rest of the story unfolds? No, it, it gives me a slight glimpse into the future, but it's like, it's very blurry. It's like. It's like, well, why, why, why is it blurry? What, what, why is, if you know the answer, why is the story blurry? Yeah. Well, let, let me, let me respond by giving it a real life example. If I told you in 2020, we were going to have a global pandemic and the entire planet was going to go home and not go to work for pretty much nine months of the year. And we're going to have the worst recession in a hundred years. And we're going to have the highest unemployment that we've had in a hundred years. What would you have predicted for stock markets for that year? Is it? There's no way you would have thought that stock markets would be up at the end of the year. There's no way, no possible way. And so if you give me one of these answers to this question, I I would say I'm like 60% to 70% sure I know what to do with the bond part of a client's portfolio. Like for example, are we sure the Bank of Canada will decrease interest rates over the next 12 to 24 months? So if he told me that there's no, that they are not going to decrease interest rates over the next 12 to 24 months with certainty, then I know that I probably don't want to load up on bonds. Oh, but I wouldn't, the, I wouldn't have 0% in bonds. So th there's, there's not, there's not one answer there that gives me perfect clarity of the future. It's, it's like staring through 
very frosted, foggy glass. That's well, yeah, because again, the Bank of Canada doesn't decrease rates, but that doesn't mean the yield curve doesn't move. That doesn't mean that the, the credit spreads don't move. Now, there's lots of other things that would influence my bond portfolio. So this is a long way around me getting to the point of this is for entertainment purposes only. There is nothing in here that you can invest on. Because even if we got one of these things exactly right, it doesn't lead to, oh, well, obviously in this situation, this is what we have to do. It's important, and again, when we're managing client portfolios, we need to have an opinion on likelihoods of various outcomes, but you'll never see us be 100% confident on anything because there's so many, what's next? This happens, and what's next? Even if you know what the next thing is, you don't know how that's going to knock on. And if you listen to a lot of the commenters, you can quickly get down a rabbit hole where it's like, well, this is obviously going to happen, and therefore this, whoa. Number one, you were sure of the first thing. Number two, you used the word therefore. And anything that comes after therefore is even more highly suspect. And I think that's that's the most valuable thing that if you can internalize in your own head. You're you're preparing, you're you're giving yourself a much better shot and not screwing things up on a grand scale. Yeah, well that that was the whole point of this are we sure conversation. Yeah. It was to to I, I think this is investable actually. The are we sure is if we didn't prove it here, there's just, we're not, we're not sure. So the yeah. investable idea there is don't be sure and make sure that you're, you're diversified and not betting everything on one outcome, because if you are, it's, it's going to be a messy future for you. So yeah, that's the idea yeah. behind it. Let's say you are sure. Well, I'll give you that. You're still <laughs> yeah. no further ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that, uh, we're going to ha go have a nice weekend now, Colin. How about you? Oh, guaranteed. I'm sitting here in Halifax in the first snow of, of winter, and it's uh, the 20th of January, so I have nothing to complain about. So I am going to go celebrate my weekend. Enjoy the lower deck this weekend, my friend. Yeah, This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. We've noticed something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. Content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different.
This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.